Amen. And you may be seated. Good morning. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Yes, He is. For those of you who are guests or visiting maybe the first or second time, it's been great to meet a number of you. And uh, in a few moments, we're going to receive the offering. And really, all we ask for you is to return this card. And you could do me a favor by saying, how did you hear about First Baptist? I met some of you that uh, Googled us on the Internet. I met some of you that got a mailer. I met some of you who are invited by friends at work. But if you don't mind putting that information on there, it's really helpful to us. So if you could fill that out and then just write on there how you came to be at First Baptist this morning, that would be very helpful. And a couple other things. Um, it was noted that Hannah Masad will be here. He's one of the most special people I know. Um, how would you like to grow up and run a Baptist church in Gaza? You know, they just were uh, invaded by Israel and uh, a lot of destruction there recently. One of the most violent places on earth. He has the only evangelical church in Gaza, 1.4 million people. And uh, Hana is one of the most remarkable people I know. We're privileged to have him here next week. So I hope you'll show up next week at 9.30, be here throughout the day to uh, learn from Hana, to be able to see the world through his eyes and see the world more like Jesus sees the world. So I am very excited about Hana being here. I met him about 10 years ago at a missions conference, and uh, he's been to First Baptist before. So that's coming up next Sunday, and I'm, I can't hardly wait, except for I love Easter, so I don't want this to be over either. And then uh, in a couple weeks, this Good Sense course, uh, one of the goals for every member of First Baptist is for you to go through this Good Sense. It's, a, it's a really a, how to manage your money like the Bible says. It's not about giving your money. It's about management of your money. And we can all use that. I've gone through this and other types of courses like this over and over. I'm a slow learner. But uh, let me encourage you to sign up for that and join us because I think it's going to be very fun. And then in two weeks, I'm starting a series on generosity. And I'm looking forward to this series. I hope you'll be here. Uh, there's a book downstairs that you can pick up. We're, we're trying to demonstrate generosity, so you can have this book for $2. And if you don't have $2, we'll give it to you. So that'll come up in two weeks, and I hope you'll pick up the book downstairs after church this morning. A few days ago, I rolled up to the 99-cent store, and I parked my old Nissan there in the parking lot and got out of the car, and I was walking up to the door of the 99-cent store on Colorado Boulevard, and parked there was a brand-new Bentley Coupe. Didn't even have a license plate. Gorgeous automobile. In fact, I was going to Google it and find out what it's worth. I would suppose six figures plus. And as I stood there looking at this gorgeous automobile, a gentleman came out of the store, and he saw me looking at it, and he kind of looked at it and smiled, and we both smiled, wondering, what is this Bentley doing at the 99-cent store? And he said, well, maybe if I shop here enough, I can afford a Bentley. And I watched him leave and get into this old beat-up Ford truck parked next to my old Nissan. And uh, I said to him, well, maybe he owns the 99-cent store. I don't know, but I went in and got my stuff and came out. He was still, their Bentley was still parked there, as gorgeous as always. Uh, it's tough times. You know it's tough times when you roll up to the 99-cent store and there's a Bentley. You know it's tough times when you've got two television sets and one is sitting on top of the other. You use one for picture and one for sound. <laughs> Here at First Baptist, we've been looking up in t at, during tough times. Every time we come to church here, we're not going to look down. We're not going to mumble about the tough times. 
or all the money we were lost in the stock market or that we weren't in the stock market. Those are rejoicing, aren't they? Um, we're not going to do that. We're going to look up and be encouraged. And what better time to look up than Easter Sunday morning? I mean, you've made a great choice to be here today with God's people, to sing the songs of the faith, and to look up for a few moments. There were some folks visiting from New York, and I met them a moment ago, and they're quite nervous because they said they were going to brunch. And I said, oh, we'll be done by 1 o'clock. And uh, I don't know if they're very happy right now, but Baptist Church, you just go on until you feel like going, right? I mean, amen? Uh, they're laughing at me. Anyhow, um, what a great day to be in the Lord's house, Easter Sunday morning. And I want to, again, welcome you and just so glad to worship the Lord with you. What do you think about Easter? What does Easter really mean to you? Uh, some of folks get new clothes. Some folks dress up and come and they look great. And Easter may be about new clothes. Maybe it's about colored eggs or some traditions you had in your family. Maybe Easter is about more chocolate than you normally eat. Uh, I don't know. What is Easter to you? Maybe it's about the egg hunt. By the way, even if you're not hunting eggs, show up. It's a lot of fun. Uh, maybe Easter's about that. What is Easter to you? This really is the number one day of our year for all of us who are Christ followers. This is it. This is the best day of the year. The Scripture says in an important passage about Easter and the resurrection, these words were written. And by the way, in your uh, worship folder, there's an outline of the message today if you want to follow along. And in the Scripture, these words are written. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. The truth is that if Easter isn't true, if Christ isn't raised, uh, this is sort of a pointless exercise. We just well take a break now and go hunt eggs. But if Christ is raised, if the resurrection is real, it makes all the difference in the world. Now, in the Scripture, there are lots of stories about the resurrection. Each gospel, of course, has a chapter on that. This morning, we're going to look at the Gospel of John. If you'd like to take a Bible there in front of you, you could turn to page 114. Or if you want to follow along in your notes, we have the Scripture there as well. And as I was reading over the Easter story, I wanted to talk to you this morning about voices from the empty tomb, or voices of hope. And we're going to look at John's story of Easter, the first Easter Sunday morning. So I invite you to join me in John chapter 20, page 114 in the Bible in the pew, and let's listen to some of these voices of hope, and I think this will help us to look up in down times. Voice number one, the first voice is a woman's voice. I call, she's named Mary. I call her messed up Mary. Mary had baggage. You know people like that, they've got baggage. They've got a history. That's Mary. Now, I'm not putting her down. I'm just reflecting what the Bible tells us about Mary. The Bible says she had seven demons. I don't know exactly what that meant or what her behavior was like, but she had these demons, and she met Jesus, and he forever changed her life for good. Some people you meet, you're worse afterwards. Some people you meet, you're better afterwards. She met Jesus, and he changed her life, literally, and she fell in love with him. You know her as Mary Magdalene. She's a famous woman. But Mary had baggage. She was messed up. And she's the first woman John introduces us to in this story of the resurrection. And someone has said that the women were the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. 
And it's true. As you know, Jesus' followers, the guys, the tough guys, what did they do during the crucifixion? They left. There was one exception, but they all fled. The women stayed. And now Mary comes to the tomb, and the Bible says in John that it's still dark. It's that gray time of night when the morning hasn't quite broken forth. And she comes there, and she comes to weep, to mourn, to do what is appropriate in her tradition. And as she comes there, um, she is surprised by something. I call this voice number one the lover's voice. The lover's voice. And you'll see in a moment why I say that. In uh, John chapter 2, the first couple of verses, it says this. Mary Magdalene came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they put him. I don't know where he is. Now, as she got there that morning, she realized that the stone had been rolled away and Jesus' body was not there. Let me caution you this morning. Don't think too much. You already know the end of the story, and that's part of the problem. But when Mary got there, she didn't know the end of the story, and she thought somebody has moved Jesus' body. And that upsets her. So she runs back and she tells Simon Peter, and in this reading it says the other disciple. In the Gospel of John, John, who wrote the Gospel, never uses his own name. He says, I'm the disciple Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. And he knows that Jesus loves him and he loves Jesus back. And so he refers to himself as the other disciple or the beloved disciple, and he's the other man. So Mary comes and says, the, the, the tomb is empty, the body's gone. And she thinks someone has taken it. She does not think there's been a resurrection. And so what do guys do? You know, they, they turn everything into what? A competition. There's, you know, I don't care what you're doing, it's got to be a competition. And if you've raised boys, if you've been around boys, you know how it is. So even here, these grown men, they take off towards the uh, grave site, the tomb, and it says they're running. We'll come back to that word in a moment, but they're running. And John somehow says that uh, he starts last, but he ends there first. So John wants you to know he can run faster than Peter. Now, it's a true story. I was researching this passage, and somebody said, I don't believe this is true, but somebody, some commentator said, well, John outran Simon Peter because Simon Peter was married. John was single. <laughs> now, as a married guy, I think I can outrun some single guys. Not anymore, but uh, anyhow, that makes no sense. And somebody else said, well, John is younger than Peter. That might make sense. But anyhow, who knows why? But John outruns him. And John gets to the empty tomb, and uh, he looks inside and sees what's going on. And then they leave, and we'll come back to Peter and John in just a moment. So Mary goes back, and she can't run as fast as them. She's now there. She also looks in, sees it's empty. And as the scripture you saw a moment ago, she's standing in the garden, weeping, because that's why she went there, was to lament and weep and mourn for Jesus. And as she's weeping, someone says to her, Why are you crying? Now, in some ways, it's a dumb question if you know the story, but apparently the person didn't. And she looks through her tears, and I don't know whether it was still too dark to make out the form of this man she thinks is the gardener, or maybe he's behind some shrubbery, or maybe her eyes are swollen and tear-clouded. Whatever it is, she doesn't really identify the person by looking. So she just says, well, sir, uh, I don't know where you've taken him. If you've taken him somewhere, tell me, and I'll go get him. She's talking about the body of Jesus. 
Now, when Jesus was on earth, he, of course, lived in a day when lots of people had sheep and it was a good image. And so Jesus would describe himself as a shepherd. He'd said, I'm the good shepherd and you're my sheep. And he talked a lot about that. And he said, you know, every good shepherd knows the name of his sheep. He said, I know my sheep, I know their name, and I'll take care of them. That's Jesus' promise as the good shepherd to his sheep. And so here Mary's standing there. She's asked the gardener, where is the body? And she's waiting for an answer. Guess what she hears? Mary. Mary. I think at that moment that goosebumps ran down her back. I think the hair stood out on her arm. Her ears told her it was Jesus. Her eyes begin to focus in. She says, that can't be. He's dead. And I think there was this sense of creepiness, weirdness, and elation all mixed up together. And she realized as she heard that word, her name, Mary, she had heard it before when the demons were cast out. And she knew that voice. And she went running towards him and she embraced him. I think she hugged Jesus tighter than he'd ever been hugged before. And he'd been hugged before. And she grabbed onto him, and she could not believe what she felt and saw and heard. All her senses told her, it's Jesus. But her mind would say, it can't be, he's dead. And Jesus allows her to touch him, hold him, and finally says, Mary, you can't hang on to me, because I have to go back to heaven to the Father. I can't stay here. My mission on earth is done. I have to go back to the Father now, where I came from. But... Go and tell the others that I'm going back to the Father. And so she does. Mary is the voice of a lover. Can you hear her voice this morning? Sitting around you, it may be true of you, it may not be true of you. I don't know. I know it's true of some of us. That like Mary, we were pretty messed up when we met Jesus. We had baggage. We had a history. We had problems. And we came to Jesus and he began to change our lives, get rid of the demons. And we have forever, like Mary, fallen in love with Jesus. Why? Because he changed our life. And Mary loved him so passionately because she she felt the change of God in her through Jesus. And so that's the lover's voice. Do Do you hear that voice this morning, the voice of love, the voice that can change your life for good? That's Mary's voice, voice number one. Now we're going to shift gears to go to voice number two, and I call this... It's a very different voice. I call it the ashamed voice. It's not the lover's voice. It's the ashamed voice. Now, one of the reasons I like the Bible is because I think it's the most honest book you can read. It doesn't gloss over things. There's no PR person putting out the Bible to, you know, make it look better than it is. And one of the reasons for that is the Bible has a lot of great characters in it, but the Bible is honest enough to tell you their faults. Think with me for a moment. Noah, a great man, but... He got drunk, messed up. The father of our faith, the father of the Jewish faith, the father of Islam, Abraham, another great man, huge in the history of humanity. But we know in a bind, what did he do? He lied. He didn't trust God. So again, you see the honesty of the Bible. David, the greatest king of Israel, uh, he was a passionate man, but unfortunately his passions led him astray several times. He was immoral. So the Bible is very honest about the frailty of humanity. And that's why we love Peter. He's passionate. 
and he is, uh, I call him the ashamed voice. Let's look at a couple of these scriptures. Um, in chapter 20 of verse 6, just a, one verse, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the empty tomb. He saw the wrappings there. Then in the next chapter, and we'll go to this story in John 21, it says the third time he said to him, and you can read the scripture there, you know the story, I think, but let's refresh. Peter was the one, Jesus said, you know, some terrible things are going to happen to me. I'm going to die. And Peter said, no, no, Lord, I would defend you. I would give my life for you. But you know that on the night Jesus was on trial and going through that scourging and all the examination and the pain of Good Friday, what did Peter do? Some woman came up to him and said, you know, aren't you one of his followers? And he said, no, no, no. Three times, no. And then we read, as Jesus was dying on the cross, Peter realized how he had betrayed Jesus. And as Jesus died, Peter went out and wept. He was brokenhearted. He was ashamed. He was embarrassed. He knew he had blown it. Now, think with me for a moment. Uh... If you had denied the Lord like that, and then he dies, he's in the grave on Friday, think about Saturday. Not a very good day, is it? I mean, you realize the last thing I did for Jesus was deny him. He's gone. I basically said, I don't, I don't love him, I don't believe in him. And that's where it ends with Peter. Now, when Jesus comes back on Resurrection Sunday and Peter meets him, you've got to wonder, how does Peter feel? He's glad Jesus is alive, but he's ashamed. Now, to fast forward to the next chapter, Jesus invites Peter to breakfast one day, cooks him some fish. When his belly's nice and full, he says, Now, Peter, I want to ask you a question. Sure, Lord, any question. Do you love me? Uh, Yes, you know I love you. How many times do you think Jesus asked the question? Three times. Peter got the point. And he finally said, Jesus, you know I love you. That's true. But you also know everything about me. Peter was confessing. And this morning, some of us aren't so much like Mary, we're like Peter. We have things we're ashamed of. I suspect we all have things we're ashamed of. We really realize we were not at our best at that moment. And you think, well, how could God love me? How can I rejoice at Easter? Well, I would like you to listen to the voice of Peter. Because Jesus simply said, do you love me? If you do, I can forgive you. If you accept me, I will forgive you. And that's the voice today, the voice that Peter heard, the voice that you can hear Jesus saying to you on this Easter Sunday morning, uh, my work is about forgiveness. That's why I came. And if you came here this morning with shame or guilt or disappointment in yourself or disappointment in others, Jesus wants to say, I can forgive you. I love you. That's what this is about. And you can join Simon Peter in rejoicing at Easter time. And I encourage you to follow him. This ashamed voice became a voice of hope because Jesus will forgive you. And so it's a voice of hope. Now, we talked about two voices, the believer's, uh, the uh, lover's voice and the ashamed voice. Let's talk about the believer's voice. This is the easiest one, I think. This is John's voice. And uh, we, as we come to John and what he has to do in this Sunday morning, this first resurrection, let me stop and take a survey. I'd, I'd like you to respond by raising your hand. Did anybody walk to church today? Okay, so raise them up high. We want to, okay, great, good. Doubly good because you saved energy, didn't you? Now, did anybody ride their bicycle to church? Oh, a couple folks. Hallelujah, you blessed my heart. 
Uh, anybody come by the metro? Gold line, okay. Couple folks, bus, metro, great. And uh, how many of you drove or rode to church in an automobile, car, truck, something like that? Most of us, okay. Now, anybody run to church today? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Bunch of old, uh, no, don't go there. Nobody ran to church today. Well, it's interesting that running comes up in this chapter. And it's interesting that John gets in this drag race with Simon Peter, and he wins. And uh, let's go to the uh, Scripture here, because in uh, this verse it says this. John is the believer's voice, and it says, Then the other disciple... Now, who is that? That's John. The other disciple who reached the tomb when? First. Oh, humble John. Uh Uh-huh. I got there ahead of Simon Peter. Uh, Also went in and saw and believed. Now, I don't understand why John thinks he has to talk about them racing to the tomb, but they did. Now, remember, they were not excited about the resurrection because they didn't know about it. So don't read back into time. They raced to the tomb because Mary said it was empty, and they didn't understand why it was empty. That's why they ran. They did not run because they thought Jesus was alive. So they raced back there. John gets there first. He's the lover poet type. I think he's a little afraid to go in. Passionate Peter, is he afraid? He just runs right on in the door. Probably hit the wall and stopped. Might have fallen down where Jesus had been. I don't know, but he's in there. And then Peter says, well, if... But John says, if Peter can go in, I guess I can. So he goes in too, and he sees the empty tomb. Now, here's the thing that really troubles scholars. doesn't trouble me so much. But it says, and he, John, saw and believed. What did he see? That's troubling. He saw an empty tomb. He saw grave clothes. And what did he believe? And as you remember the Gospel of John, he later writes the book we're reading, And it's a simple book and a profound book at the same time. But as he writes this gospel, uh, those of you who have read John, you know he has one favorite word. What is it? Believe. Believe. It comes up over and over in this gospel. It's his favorite word. Now, I don't understand all this going on, but John is amazing because he simply saw the empty tomb and he believed in Jesus all the more. Perhaps he even believed in the resurrection at that moment based on Jesus' earlier teaching. And some of us in this room, and I've struggled with how to express this, and I don't know how to express it very well, but you'll get the idea. Some of you folks here need a lot of proof. We'll come to that. But some of you believe easy, and I mean that in a good way. You're just able to believe. You're a believer. And that's what John is. John knew God loves me, Jesus loves me, and I'm going to love him back. And John just had that mystical romantic love relationship with Jesus. And so he looks, Jesus isn't here, I believe! And perhaps you're like that. You just find faith easy and you believe. Hallelujah. John is your voice this morning because he he looks there and before... Now remember, nobody had told John Jesus was alive and he hadn't seen Jesus. He just believed. And this morning, perhaps... That's your key word, believe. And you say, Steve, I don't understand it, but I believe it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Believe. Now, there's one other voice. I think we are going to be done before 1 o'clock. There's one other voice. And I call this the doubter's voice. You probably didn't realize this, but I did a lot of research, and uh, you're not going to learn this at Fuller Seminary or any other seminary. You can only learn it here this morning. Are you ready? You know where Thomas was from? Missouri. 
I figured it out. Thomas was from Missouri. You didn't know there was a Missouri back in the day, but uh, I say that because that's the show-me state. I've spent a lot of time in Missouri. You kind of have to show people. Well, Thomas is from Missouri because we, we call him Doubting Thomas. Let's look at the Scripture. Uh, in John chapter 20, verse 25, the other disciples told him, that's Thomas now, we've shifted gears, the scene has rolled on. We have seen the Lord, but Thomas said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and the scar in his side and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? John said he saw and believed. Thomas says, I didn't see and I don't believe. And some of you are like that. Now, Jesus said, that's great, Thomas. Jesus finally showed up and Thomas saw him. And Jesus called his bluff. He said, Thomas, here I am. You want to touch the scars? Touch them. You want to touch my side? Touch me. I'm real. I'm alive. I'm here. And you know what Thomas did? The same thing you would do had you been there. He fell on his knees and said, my Lord, my God. I think he had goosebumps. And he believed. Now, Jesus said, Thomas, it's great. I'm glad you believe. And by the way, if you want to read books, there are all kinds of books written just recently about the resurrection of Jesus that can help your faith, that are rational approaches to help you understand the reality of the resurrection. You can read those if you need to, to dispel doubt. But Thomas saw and believed. Jesus said, blessed are those who cannot see me, but they believe. Now, who would that be? Us. No, we haven't seen Jesus like John, but we believe, and we believe. My dad served in World War II, as did some of you older men. And when uh, the men came back from World War II, my dad came back to his home in Glendale, California, a few miles from here. And like all young servicemen, what did he want to do? He wanted to get a date. He wanted to find a girlfriend. And so fortunately for me, he didn't go to a bar or a tavern to find a date. He went to church. He went to Glendale Presbyterian Church, in fact, and there he met a young woman named Lois. And he realized, well, if I'm going to date Lois, I'm going to have to come to church. So he started going to church, and he started listening to the sermons. And he started hearing about this person called Jesus. And he started hearing that invitation, you need to follow Jesus, accept Jesus, become a disciple. And so I've often heard my dad put it this way. I decided, well... I'm really am not sure if it's true or not, but I'm going to follow Jesus. And if it turns out it's not true, this doesn't work out, I'll quit. That was some 60 years ago. He hasn't quit. Now, because my mom and dad are Christ followers, their three sons grew up to be Christ followers. And because we're Christ followers, our children, their grandchildren, grew up to be Christ followers. And now great-grandchildren are growing up and going to church, and we pray, God, they become Christ followers. You, you see what I'm saying? Doubting Thomas moved from his doubt to faith. I was reading, I don't know anything about horse racing, but I was reading about horse racing, the kind, the equestrian racing. Let me say that three times. Equestrian racing, where they jump over the fence. You've seen that kind of racing. Not the round-the-track kind, but they go through the jump the fences and all that. And as they come up to these stone walls, that great big animal leaps over with the jockey on his back. And apparently the key in that kind of riding and racing is the jockey. And if the jockey doesn't believe the horse is going to make it over the fence, guess what? 
the horse is not going to make it over the fence. And the biggest fear of the jockey is if that horse doesn't make it over the fence, what happens to me? The horse and the jockey go down, it's bad. So while it looks very graceful and elegant, there's a lot of fear apparently in that kind of racing. And here's what one trainer tells his jockeys. He says this, to encourage them so that they have to be optimistic, they have to know they're going to clear that fence when the horse comes up to it. The, jo- the trainer says this, take your heart and throw it over the fence and then jump after it. I thought that's a, that's a great statement. And that's really what I'm asking you today. You may be here not committed to Jesus. You may wonder about the resurrection. You, you're not sure whether to be in or out. I'd like to challenge you to do what Thomas did, to speak to Jesus about your doubt, be honest about your doubt, and let Jesus speak to you, to seek God. Because God says, come and seek me. Jesus said, seek me. Jesus said, knock on the door. Ask, I'll give. Or do what my dad did. Say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'll do what he says until it doesn't work anymore. Or do what the trainer tells the jockeys. Throw your heart over the fence of faith and then jump after it. Seek God. This morning, I can't think of a better time than Easter Sunday morning, 2009, to trust Jesus, to make that commitment or recommit to him. You've heard the voice of Mary, a lover's voice. She loved Jesus because he had changed her life. Has Jesus changed your life? Are you in love with him? There's John. He just believed easy. Jesus loved him. He knew it. And he loved Jesus back passionately. And there's Simon Peter, also passionate, but he kind of messed up along the way and got back on the wagon. He messed up and get back. Maybe that's where you're at. I encourage you to get back on the wagon. Follow Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. And then finally, the voice of Thomas. Maybe there's doubt today. That's okay. That's okay. Bring your doubts and all to Jesus. I've written a little prayer I'd like to end with. Would you mind standing with me? Let's read this prayer off the screen. It's a prayer of faith at Easter time. And I'll ask us to read this together. And uh, this is a prayer where you just throw your heart over the fence and follow your heart. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Easter. Today I have heard your voices of doubt and faith of love and shame. I recognize my own voices in these voices. Sometimes I wonder, are you real? And I doubt. Lord, there are times when in the dark of night I deny you and am ashamed. There are those seasons when I so long to find you and hear you, but I do not. Then, too, there are those great moments when I believe and am filled with hope and love and joy. Today we praise and thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. With the beloved disciples we say, Yes, God, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Amen. Hallelujah.